Good afternoon and welcome to LLC Chat, the Language Learning Center's new podcast on issues related to world languages from the perspective of students, faculty, and community members. I'm your host, Kelsey, and we come to you from the Department of World Languages and Cultures at Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. I'm joined today by Dr. Megan Mize, Associate Director of ePortfolio and Digital Initiatives for the Center for High Impact Practices at Old Dominion University. Welcome to LLC Chat. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. So would you please introduce yourself with a brief background to your expertise and your interests? Sure. Uh, so as you said, I'm Megan Mize. Um, I am the Associate Director for ePortfolios and Digital Initiatives. I'm also an instructor in the English department here at Old Dominion University. And my background is uh, a bit odd for somebody in my position uh, in that my primary field of research for a long time was actually 16th century literature and rhetoric. Uh, my dissertation is on um, 16th century pedagogy and discussions of how we train women for positions of authority. Um, but it actually really well prepared me for the position I currently occupy in, in a course in teaching uh, because that discussion, discussion of pedagogy was really focused on media shift. You know, at that time, they're really moving from an oral manuscript culture to a print culture. And that changes everything in terms of content and information. And now we're sitting here at the digital shift and that changes everything in terms of pedagogy, delivery, how we represent ourselves, who has access to information. And, uh, and I think in the pandemic, we've all seen that that is something we really can't ignore. So, um, so that research informs the way I teach my classes and, uh, and now of course the portfolio initiative. So just realize that when I'm advocating here, I'm, I'm thinking about it from something that came centuries ago <laughs> and is still totally relevant today. So would you explain what ePortfolios are for our listeners and how are they used at ODU? Sure. So when people talk about ePortfolios, there's actually a really wide diversity of what they mean. Um, you can talk about something that's an archival portfolio. In other words, students are asked to save materials over time, all kinds of materials, not just finished products, but things they produced in the process of communication, um, rough drafts, peer review, anything like that. More commonly, we're talking about something that a lot of us describe as showcase or presentation portfolios. And those are digital uh, artifacts that are basically public facing. So think of a website, a personal professional website, and on it, you would select examples of your work that you would show to somebody who might be an employer or someone you're trying to get a contract with or some grad school you're applying to and basically demonstrating to them both your skills and how you got there and also humanizing you in this huge pool of people who are applying in the job market. Uh, and so just think of an old portfolio where, you know, like architects and artists would save content and then kind of curate out the best examples of their work. 
we're just doing that digitally and trying to make all students as visible and as shiny as possible because they do a lot of work at ODU that um, otherwise just gets hidden. It's like adding a little bit of color to a black and white. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean, you can go a lot of color actually. <laughs> yes, you're right, yeah, it takes that print resume it makes it live. Um, you can have video and audio, um, and that's really important. In fact, employers tell us that. Um, you know, when they click the audio and can hear you talking, they learn a lot about you right away. And so, um, you know, I often kind of joke with people, I have a very sarcastic voice, uh, and I know that. <laughs> you know, um, I, I blame my parents. Uh, but when people hear me in my, my portfolio, they've actually come to me uh, at national conferences and said, you know, when you started laughing or, you know, you mispronounced this thing and you left it in and acknowledged it, I felt like you were someone I could talk to or I could work with. So they get a really good feel for who you are. And so um, that's called multimodality, where students are able to use multiple modes of communication. So image, sound um video animation as well as print and that goes back to the point we're in a digital culture and students need to know how to communicate digitally uh, and so it's not just writing long essays people are probably not going to read your 40 page essay on engineering but they might watch your three minute video about what you know about engineering or world languages since that's the <laughs> since <Yeah>. that's is <laughs> <laughs> well, a perfect discipline for it too by the way uh, would you actually explain what you find the value to be for ePortfolios for world language students and faculty alike? Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the students. Uh, and of course, world languages ties really cleanly to what I was just talking about, audio and, and visual. You know, so um, I've seen some really compelling examples already coming out of the world languages department where, for instance, students are able to demonstrate uh, fluency or even progress to fluency. So uh, one student in particular was able to show beginning, middle, and end of his learning process. And you could quantify how long it took him to say, hello, my name is, and kind of get through a traditional greeting in French. And by the end of the semester, he was X amount of times faster at that and, and came across far more um, you know, fluently, right? And so he was able to demonstrate that he could speak French. He didn't just tell me he could do it. He showed me he could do it. Um, others have been taking images and videos of things where they're either interacting with native speakers or traveling to places. So now I can quickly see that these students uh, not only have read about these cultures, but have experienced these cultures in ways that are meaningful. You know, they're not just observing coldly from a distance they're engaged with it and thus that is really important to me as well as a potential uh employer or something of that nature and of course it humanizes them um many of these students i've never taught but i have a really good sense for their work ethic their willingness to try to stumble sometimes uh and then how they get up and and, and continue to progress in their learning so from a student point of view you know, you really get to show what is often invisible in a print resume, you know, um, and here I get to, to really see it and hear it and kind of have a much better sense of your journey. From a faculty member's point of view, the same is true. 
you know, a lot of times we sit there designing assignments and intellectually we know this is progress. This will, this will move them forward, but we don't always get to see that comprehensive overview of progress. Uh, and especially if a portfolio carries between courses. So let's say someone else teaches a student at 101 and I get them in 201, but I can see their 101 work and now their 201 work. Uh, I know where that student is starting in a way that they were blank to me before. I didn't know what they were doing in those other courses or where they were struggling because we asked them to reflect on their learning. What was hard? What did you do well? So now when I pick up where someone else left off, I have a better view of that student and, and am likely more empathetic. The other thing that I'll, I'll throw in here um, is that I haven't said a lot about the tech. And a lot of times people think I'm going to talk tech first, and I'm not. The, the tech is secondary. It's the thing that allows the rest of this to happen. Um, and there's a course, I, I know we're going to talk about resources for it, but as I said earlier, you know, the digital shift has happened. And a lot of our students aren't prepared for it when they leave the institution because they've never been asked to explicitly engage in digital spaces. I, they know to Google and do a little research and, and write a thing and submit it on Blackboard. But that's not inherently the thing that translates to communication outside of the institution. So what hums under all of this is also digital literacy, right? The ability to effectively communicate online and employers and grad schools see that. An e-portfolio tells them instantly, a student has been asked to practice this, you know, um, thinking about embedding, thinking about including other modes of communication. Um, building a website on its own is, is a big signal to someone that this student has practiced something relevant to the digital sphere. Um, and I know that sometimes faculty and admin get really anxious about that because likewise, they've not been prepared. So to wrap this answer, I'll say, when you start doing e-portfolios, it impacts the rest of your teaching because now you have started to think about what are the digital concerns for my students and for my pedagogy. So the next time you're asked to go online, you've already got solutions in place that are ready to roll. You've already thought about access to student material, sharing permissions, uh, ease of viewing content. You don't want to download anything. You want to see it right away. So it's embedding, right? Uh, so in that way, you and your students start becoming more aligned in the skills that, that we need moving forward. And the EP is a nice, low-level digital assignment that can do that. And, and research shows um, helps with retention of information. So it's a win all around. <laughs> Then I'll stop there. <laughs> I actually wanted to ask you a question, um, like concerning the students. Yeah. Would you say that it's it's better to show some of the mistakes they've made, like in their foreign language? Yeah. So you know, it's really interesting, and I'll try not to go too far down my English instructor path and talk to you about the rhetorical nature of this work. Right? Audience purpose is always important. Who is the audience at this time? What is your purpose for this content? So I would say within your learning process, it's really important to sometimes show the stumbling points because you're also then showing how you got past those stumbling points, right? Um, in some scenarios, 
you know, let's say you graduate and you're applying for a job, maybe you pull that out if you think the employer doesn't want to see that. And that's the nice thing about portfolios is they are fluid in the same way a resume is fluid. We change over time. Um, but I would read the job ad really closely or for grad schools, I would absolutely include the struggles because what they want to see. And, and if you look at um, career development services, for instance, every year puts out the top 10 skills employers are looking for. And of those top 10 communication is often one or two. So obviously I think you can see how the e-portfolio fits in that practicing communication, um, collaboration, and then problem solving. And we don't often ask students to demonstrate their ability to problem solve. So if, if what was difficult for you was X, well, show me X was hard and then show me how you overcame it. And that's actually a really valuable conversation. So um, do you want a portfolio where every page is like, man, I can't do this thing either? Then no. <laughs> but do you want to show me that I had a hard time collaborating with a group because of our schedules online? but this is how we overcame it. Fantastic, because now an employer knows you're willing to think about a problem and, and tackle it. Uh, what other artifact from your, your college experience does that? You know, we all try to come out looking super shiny and super shiny is great, um, but maybe a little human never hurt us either because yeah. we're gonna have to work together. Yeah. <laughs> so um, about the services. Yeah. Would you please explain more about the services offered at CHIP and the role of the ePortfolio assistants? Absolutely. So whenever you advocate <laughs> for something that has technology and in, 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 in writing, this is composition, it's a digital composition, really, you have to support the people doing that work. And so for the students, we have a team of ePortfolio assistants who are simply peer mentors who will work with you to create, edit, maintain, design your portfolio. Um, very similar to the Writing Center in that we will also give you feedback on your portfolio to try to help you evolve it. You can come see us as many times as you want. But we're also very cognizant of the fact that students have very complicated lives right now. So maybe you can't always make it to a a one-on-one -on -one session. So we offer one-on-one -on -one short sessions, uh, you know, throughout the week online right now uh, via Zoom. Uh, and we also offer things like open studio hours where you can simply drop in, no appointment, and get help. We also offer the opportunity for you to message us on Slack. If you just have a quick question, the team will respond as best as they're able. You can email us at ePortfolio at odu.edu. And then one of our most popular services um, is, is video feedback. You have a question or you just want a set of eyes, but you don't have time for a meeting. We actually have a form you can fill out and we will send you a video where we walk through your portfolio and, and give you content because we know you probably don't have time to meet with us. So um, we're doing as much as we can to be as available to students folks need that help and we've got that help for them so it all sounds really convenient too uh -huh. really easy to set up <laughs> yeah we try and I think uh, the one message I would have for any listener who's building a portfolio don't struggle alone you know our team is is so good and they're super empathetic um, 
we've had students come to us who are so frustrated, like, oh, I worked on this for four minutes or for four hours. And the problem is we kind of sit there going, well, how do we tell them this is a two minute solution? <laughs> they, should, they should have come to us so much earlier. And, uh, and that's often what we hear from the students. So, you know, don't struggle alone. That's what we're out there for. And, and a lot of times we can, a lot of times the problems are not unique. We know the answer as soon as you start talking. So. Yeah, I definitely need to get over there because I've started building mine mm -hmm. and I came in as a transfer student, so I didn't have the option to do it from semester one. Yep. So I'm kind of struggling to put it all together. Yeah, and, and I absolutely understand that. I, I was introduced to this con uh, uh, concept as a doctoral student. And at that point, you're like, whoa, this is <laughs> a lot of content to try to pare down. So I'm really appreciative of any program that introduces students to this early and then has them keep going because trying to build it, looking back and, and trying to find evidence of things you know you did, that is hard. It's hard work, you know, but, but it is also um, like one of my favorite things is watching people do that and realize just how much work they've done and how far they've come. Um, I think that gives you a really good sense of, uh, of pride honestly you're like oh yeah i did just do a ton and and like i said before i think we all get into that kind of checkbox mentality that project's done that project's done and then when you step back and realize um how far you've come in your learning process um it can feel good so yeah, yeah i can understand that it's a it's a confidence boost for me to go back to like my french 101 and comparing it to what i'm doing now <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean like i said uh it was really something to go into this one student's portfolio and just watch them go from like a five minute, hello, my name is, they knocked that out in 45 seconds. Like it was nothing later. They didn't even care about that. That wasn't anything. And I was like, well, I mean, that's, that's learning in action, isn't it? So yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So um, with everything being remote right now and we don't really know what it's gonna look like later, what do you feel the future holds for ePortfolios? ODU? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great question. Um, and I have so many answers, so I'm going to try to tear it down. Um, I think what's coming next for portfolios, as all of us catch up to, to the digital curve, you know, and that's going to take a few years, you know, uh, faculty, admin, and students all kind of getting on the same level with, with just the, even the basics, right? Um, I think what will happen next as we all reach a level of comfort with tech and understand that it's in service to learning, not just tech for tech's sake, but because it's doing a thing. Uh, I think we'll see interactive portfolios coming next. Um, not just portfolios where the viewer passively reads the content you have on there, but portfolios that invite you to, to do something with that content. So one thing I'm playing with, and this may sound very weird to you, um, is low level augmented reality or virtual reality options. So right now, it is very common for things like real estate agents to be doing VR pictures where you can move through a space, right? And so think about what that might look like if your e-portfolio has a, a 360 image of, uh, let's say you went to Versailles, or you've gone to an art gallery that relates to your research, or you're showing that you taught in a classroom and, and you set it up in a unique way. I think we'll see things like that where students are now inviting the user to experience something with them 
versus just reporting it out and having, um, you know, like a PDF embedded of the experience. I, I think that will come. Maybe not next year, <laughs> but I think that's the next step. Even uh, I've seen people even doing things just like um, embedding polls in their, their portfolios where they ask the viewer, are you interested in this, this, and this? Or what, what would you like me to talk about next on my blog? Or um, even people embedding small games. Like, I mean, all of that. The, the, the long and short answer is I think at ODU, we're going to start talking a little bit more about how do we make portfolios visually more compelling? Because design is, design is tough, right? Uh, but design should in some ways come secondary. Like so many people rush to make it pretty and there's no content there. Mm -hmm. I would flip the script and tell you do the content first and then think about the, you know, color, font, all of that. Um, and then like, I think the final frontier for us here would, would then be thinking about how can your portfolio be inviting and ask the user to do something. So I think that's next. Wow, that sound it does sound kind of weird and a little <laughs> I think it will be weird to us in the future, you know. But right now it's like, yeah, that's a lot. It's a bridge too far right this second. <laughs> but I think when we have a little more comfort in and uh in shared skill set, that won't seem so weird. So No, it sounds like very interesting, especially like the polls and that's stuff you're seeing now. Absolutely. You can do that with like a Kahoot or anything. Like they're all really low level stuff. It's just thinking to use them in that way because, uh, you know, those tools are designed to do a certain thing. So one example I'll give, and I'm sure you can edit this out, <laughs> but for instance, is like, um, you know, runners have apps where they can track their path around something. Uh, but those apps allow them to take pictures. And there's one that um, creates a 3D video of that run. So maybe like, let's talk about a world languages student. Maybe you go to Paris and you create a route where you walk a certain area and you take pictures at each stop and then you add a little information, a little historical information about that. And then you just embed that 3D video on your website. Now you're inviting the user to walk with you on that route and see those historic spots rather than just a picture gallery, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's a free mobile app. That's not uh, that's not asking you to know code or anything. It's just asking you to repurpose a tool. So, yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. You can have fun with them. Like you really can. It's just uh, it's just getting people up and running and thinking about how do I want to represent myself at this moment and to what audience. Wow, you've definitely given me given me my own ideas to go forward with, and I'm sure this will help a lot of our listeners as well, um, especially students who were like me and didn't get to start with one right away. I love the transfer students, so if you guys want help, you send them our way. We'll get you guys right right where you need to be. Well, I'm definitely gonna come over there. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you sharing your viewpoints and experiences. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, too. Thank you for having me. Of course. When you were simple and fancy in that field of
Hello, listeners. I wanted to give a special thanks to Kishibashi for allowing us to play his song, Marigolds, in our podcast. Check him out on your preferred music listening platform. I also want to thank each of you, our listeners, for tuning into our podcast and for showing an interest in world languages and cultures. Happy listening! <laughs> <laughs>